Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time to reveal God's end time prophecy. Fasten your seatbelts. Here we go. Tell us in your word, where two or more are gathered in your name, also there you will be. We give you thanks for being with us here today. It's our prayer that you will open the eyes, ears, hearts, and minds of everyone listening to the truth of your word. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Today's program is brought to you by Audible.com, where you can get a free audiobook download at www.audibletrial.com slash alarmradio. With over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player, that's www.audibletrial.com slash alarmradio. This offer not available on the Audible.com homepage. Well, welcome in. I'm so incredibly pleased to be here. I barely got on the air. I've been having problems trying to get on here and get this thing to work. And I... I really had to scramble. I mean, <laughs> I really had to scramble to get on here. But I'm here uh, just by the hair of my teeny chin chin. Nevertheless, I'm here. It's going to be a very good program. You don't want to miss this. We are going to uh, we're going to talk about U.S. sovereignty, how our dollar, along with the economy, is about to crash. How we as a people are being controlled and how they're trying to control our belief system. Now, I want to play a clip here real quick so I can comment <laughs> so I can comment on this clip. Uh, please listen to this. Well, the First Amendment protects your right to the freedom of religion, speech, assembly, the press, 
However, the Department of Homeland Security has decided to modify that freedom of speech and press under its newly enacted Media Monitoring Initiative. Now, this initiative will be conducted under the National Operations Center. And the idea from the brains over at the GHS headquarters will allow the government to keep data on anybody who uses any sort of news or media outlet to share, report, or stay informed. So basically that means that journalists, news anchors, hosts like myself, producers, anybody who's just a news junkie in general who relies on television and the internet to keep up with the times are all going to be under close watch. But see, their targets don't stop there. Any government worker who makes a public statement and anyone who's been involved in any homeland security type of crime will also be under the microscope. And if you're thinking of something like this, already exists, technically you would be correct. The old guidelines allow the government to collect data as long as they're given authorization to do so. According to Fast Company's website, DHS has been collecting intel, intel since 2010 and they've been distributing that information to international third parties and private sector businesses. Why, I wonder. However, this new initiative, which was created back in November, removes the entire need for any authorization, thus making it virtually anybody who's linked to the media fair game. Now, DHS is hoping to combat any outcry over lack of privacy by saying that they're only going to keep tabs of publicly made information while they're retaining data about persons of interest. But personally, I think we all know that's not going to happen. It's unclear as to how much taxpayer money is going to be going towards this initiative or the manpower required to keep tabs on anybody who speaks out. But it does offer up more proof that the government is taking the time to add yet another layer of surveillance to an already huge surveillance apparatus, all for the sake of keeping a running tab of who says what. And it's not just the media, so it's both social media. Last week, we told you about Twitter users who received subpoenas and court orders. Also, the police could get information about what they do online and who they follow and what they say. Just more proof that your freedom of speech really ain't all that free. In fact, it just might land you on a government list. Ooh, they're monitoring anybody who speaks out. That includes hosts or anyone who keeps up on the Internet. And tonight's program is we're talking about what's going to be the death of America. And I have advertised it that way. It has gone out across the Internet to all of the search engines, <coughs> all of the iPad services, all of the directories. I've advertised this widely. So uh, I guess if they don't like it... Um, they're more than welcome to monitor. I would say welcome anyone who's listening from the Department of Homeland Security. I can always use the extra listeners. And by all means, I would encourage you to stay for the full show because you not only may learn something, you may learn a little something about God. So if you are here, welcome. Um, glad to have you. I can use the extra listeners. So <laughs> All aboard! <laughs> I just had to play that clip because I think it's kind of funny. Uh, just because we as Americans have the right to do exactly what I'm doing and for you to do exactly what you're doing, I have a right to say it. I can say anything I want outside of screaming fire in a crowded theater. Um, other than that, um, I can say whatever I want. Now, tonight's program is going to be a little bit different. You know, I always play audio clips because I want to make sure that everybody knows these are not just my opinions that I'm spewing out, that I'm actually backing all of this stuff up with credible information from credible agencies. And tonight's program has got a lot of backing up. 
I've got a lot of clips here that's going to back up everything we're talking about tonight. This is 100% true. This is not my opinion. And this goes right in the face of everything that the media is trying to tell you. And we talk about this all the time, about how the media is snuggled up in bed with the with the government, with the administration. And they only tell us what they want us to know. Trying to get a, a, the truth out of the media is next to impossible. Just absolutely just the worst thing ever trying to – anybody that listens to my show on a regular basis knows that I come on here and give you news from around the world two, sometimes three days before the networks ever pick it up, if they pick it up at all. Because just like that clip just said, I'm a bit of a news junkie, and I'm usually all over this stuff. So we're going to uh, – we're going to back up everything that we talk about tonight with good, solid, uh, good, solid clips um, of what's going on. So uh, <laughs> I also want to mention, um, like I do all week long, that this coming Sunday we're going to start a prophecy roundtable. And some of you may have already heard this. I'm going to give you a nice reminder. Starting Sunday at 4 p.m., we're going to start a prophecy roundtable um, where we're going to have discussions about end-time prophecies and the times that we're in. And in this roundtable, we're going to discuss um, if we actually are where the prophecy says we are. And who's on the roundtable? That's going to be you. I'm going to depend on you, the listener, to call in and be on that roundtable, whether you're there just for a, a short comment, or if you want to hang around and ask questions and put your two cents worth in, everybody is welcome. Um, I, I usually take um, all opinions that are credible. Yeah, I mean, I don't want someone who's going to call in and cuss or you know act like a kid who's up past his bedtime, something like that. But if you're credible and you actually have something to say, then you're going to be welcome on that roundtable. We want everyone who uh, comes from a different background. So if you're, if you're new to the word, if you're still on the milk of the word, you're going to be a very important caller because usually people who are either new Christians or not real versed in the Bible ask some very good questions. And they put in some very good comments. It's always good to, to clear up those misconceptions that come from people who are who are fresh, new, or haven't spent a lot of time in the Bible. Um, and we also want people who are between the milk in the word and the meat of the word. And we want good, solid people who know the Bible well. Um, I'd like to get some um, Jewish rabbis um, or anybody that's um, learned in the Jewish perspective, um, I think would be very good. So that'll be Sunday, 4 p.m., and we're doing it at 4 so that you folks on the East Coast have a chance to call in without having to stay up real late. So it'll only be 7 p.m. for you on the East Coast. Um, and 4 o'clock here on the left coast. And uh, I hope that everybody will join in. This is just a test. We're just going to try it on Sunday. If it works and, and it can be productive, then we'll do it every Sunday. If not, then I'll just drop the whole idea. So either way. Um, so let's start with uh, 
let's start with something that's going to be um, well let me give you some quick news here they announced today that uh, General Motors has turned a profit they've turned a 7.6 billion dollar profit and does that sound like an awful lot of money an awful lot of profit well our bailout to General Motors was $50 billion, of which we still own one-third of GM stock. A little over 500 million shares are owned by the government. And they say it's wrong to call it government motors. When the government owns 500 million shares, really, and that's not government motors, well, it turns out that most of their GM sales are in China because they're saying that their signature car that's, that's making them all this money is the Chevy Volt. But we know that in America, the Volt is not selling because it's garbage. And Americans don't want it. So where, where are they making all this money at with this Chevy Volt that they're so proud of? In China. Their sales, they're making this profit, all of this money from China. Well, it turns out that the cars that the Chinese are making are built in China. They're not built here and exported over there. So GM has gone to China, set up factories. They're producing cars over there, which I guess the Buick is the top-selling car in China. They're manufacturing in China. And selling to the Chinese. Mm-mm-mm. Built and sold in China. We own 500 million shares. Own one-third of it. Gave them a $50 billion bailout so they could go to China. Uh now, does this strike me wrong, or is that exactly the same thing that the administration speaks out against on a regular basis? Hmm. Funny how that works, huh? Well, you know, it's all over the news <coughs> since the news is cuddled up with the Obama administration that they seem to be on board with his campaign in all of this hooey about how the economy is growing and we're doing so well and they're boasting that we've created over the last few years three million jobs well I you know three million jobs I guess you know that's a good thing they're creating something but you know when when the loss was 30 million then three million is not that great but they're not saying that instead what they're saying is Oh, how the economy is on the right track, and we're growing, and unemployment is down, and and this is these are all fuzzy numbers. All of this is fuzzy math, and they're they're skewing the numbers to make it look good because they want Obama reelected. The real numbers, like I reported yesterday, are absolutely startling. Our national debt, when they say it's almost fifteen trillion dollars, when it's actually. 111 when you add everything that we've owed and promised? They won't tell us that, though, because they're trying to make this look as good as possible because they want Obama to be reelected. God knows why. 
So uh, let's talk about let's talk about the economy first and what's going to happen to the dollar because the dollar is the first thing that's going to go. And I have a clip here from a budget hearing from the uh, Congressional Finance Committee. And this is uh, Warren Hatch, who is, uh, let's see, Congressional Finance Committee SD215, where they are being exposed. In fact, in this, in this clip, Mr. Hatch is exposing Mr. Obama, who has touted the fact that higher taxes and the way he's running the budget is divine inspiration and that he has been divinely inspired to do this. Yeah, I am not kidding. You need you need to listen to this. I've got two of these. I hope I don't get them mixed up. Listen to this. We're holding today's hearing, and we welcome you, Secretary Geithner, to, to the committee. Let's begin by noting that total public debt outstanding is over $15.3 trillion, larger than the size of our gross domestic product. A debt-to-GDP ratio above 100% is clearly unsustainable and puts us on the, uh, in the ranks of the many European con- com- uh, countries currently in a severe debt crisis and unable to borrow at sustainable interest rates. The nation deserves a budget that uh, responsibly addresses this debt crisis. Yet last year, the President delivered a budget that was unanimously rejected on the Senate floor. It did not receive a single yes vote, even from Senate Democrats. And I'll be interested to see if my colleagues are going to vote for this one. Yesterday, the President laid out his most recent budget plan. Unfortunately, it similarly fails to address the nation's glaring fiscal crisis and it will probably never be brought to a vote. We haven't seen a budget resolution from the Senate Budget Committee in years, despite it being legally required. Last year, the President's budget did eventually get a vote, and there's only room for improvement on that result. But the Senate Majority Leader seems to have no inclination to debate a budget on the Senate floor, having stated that the Budget Control Act means that we don't have to debate fiscal year 2013 spending totals since they have already been determined. If so, then we don't need to discuss a large part of what the President unveiled yesterday, which should make for a quick hearing today. Still, we have to do uh, our due diligence, and in reviewing the budget released yesterday by the President, it is clear that his plan would only make our fiscal problems worse and harm our economy by imposing around $1.9 trillion of stifling tax hikes. Earlier this month, the President suggested at the National Prayer Breakfast that these tax hikes are divinely inspired. That certainly was an interesting take on the Bible as far as I'm concerned. In the President's interpretation, render unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's becomes just give it all to Caesar. Who knew that cosmic justice would be rendered by the Department of Education and HUD? Who knew that the separation of the wheat from the chaff would, in fact, be performed by the Obama administration picking winners and losers in the name of fairness? Perhaps church-going citizens should just cut to the president's chase, and instead of tithing or putting an envelope in the basket of church, they could just send their money directly to the divinely ordained treasury. The fact is, this budget is politically not divinely inspired. This budget is a plan for a permanently uh, larger European-style government. It does not set our country down a sustainable fiscal path. 
It does nothing to change the President's unwavering devotion to tax and spend policies and failed stimulus schemes that have and will continue to generate historic deficits and levels of debt. It does nothing to wind down the mortgage giants Fannie and Freddie to restore private flows of capital into our nation's system of mortgage finance or to remove the government's effective takeover of our housing markets. It does nothing to address our entitlement spending crisis whistling past the graveyard as Social Security, health care, and disability trust funds are in death spirals towards bankruptcy. The President presents his budget with its accelerated spending and class warfare as one of fairness and compassion. But is it fair to American workers to jeopardize economic growth through higher taxes? Is it fair to taxpayers to ignore the mortgage giants, Fannie and Freddie, which continue to drain their wallets? Is it fair to the disabled to pretend that the looming bankruptcy of the Disability Trust Fund will not happen in 2016? And it's going to if we don't do something about it. Is it fair to look at Social Security and turn the other way in the interest of avoiding hard choices that might make a re-election campaign uncomfortable? Secretary Geithner, I look forward to your testimony today on the President's plan and what it might do to the economy. I have to say, though, that I wish you would be careful in your public economic pronouncements. It is disturbing and unwarranted when you claim, for example, that Republicans' resistance to the President's stimulus proposals for more taxing, spending, and borrowing, as in his so-called jobs bill, means that Republicans do not want to do anything to help the economy or that Republicans' resistance to wasteful stimulus somehow increases the risk of recession. These claims are simply not true, and they are certainly not productive. Putting aside these discouraging political statements, perhaps we could be given an explanation of why the administration appears to believe that the economic recovery is vibrant enough to be hit with more taxes. Despite clear warnings from the Congressional Budget Office of significant negative effects on growth, yet at the same time is not vibrant enough to stop the runaway spending of the current administration. It seems that for President Obama, the recipe always calls for more taxes to fund more government. The result is this budget, which ignores the source of our nation's fiscal challenges, a spending problem that is only getting worse. No matter what budget baseline you choose to consider, the CBO projects that federal revenues as a share of GDP will rise above the long-run average as the economy recovers, even with a continuation of current tax rates. But spending as a share of GDP is projected to indefinitely stay above its historic norms, pushing our economy and the size of our government further and further down the path that several major European countries have followed to fiscal ruin. See, and that's the point, exactly what he said is, is exactly the point, that if they told the truth and actually put out a budget that was honest, it would be politically uncomfortable for the president when he's running for re-election would make it politically uncomfortable. This is a political ploy. This is the second budget that Obama has put out that has been rejected. The last budget he put out didn't have a single yes vote. Not one. He did it for political purposes. He's putting his own political career and his re-election above the good of the country. But he stands in, uh, in front of large crowds of people and, and touts his accomplishments, saying what a great president he's been and how the economy is vibrant and returning. And there is nothing further from the truth. This is all a big, fat load of crap. There is none of this that's true.
This is all for his campaign. This is all to make him look good so he can finish the job he started, and that's bringing us down as a country. Taxes, 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 spend, spend, spend. And we are so broke it's not even funny. Our grandchildren won't even, won't even be able to pay off this debt. But he doesn't care. He just wants this election, uh, probably because he knows that we're not even going to make it far enough that our grandkids will even be able to pay the debt. If the system crashes before our grandchildren even have an opportunity to start paying on it, there won't be any debt for them to pay on because we'll be crashed. This is just the most despicable thing. And, and his minions, oh, I watched a hearing today that was – it just gave me the heebie-jeebies where, where Warren Hatch kept asking the guy a yes or no question about this budget. He said, doesn't this budget go $1.4 trillion over the cap that we put on spending? It's already a law. There's a cap already passed as a law that said you can't go past this amount. This budget puts out that – goes over that by $1.4 trillion. And Warren Hatch asked one of Obama's minions, does this go over the cap that we've already put in place? And the guy starts spewing about, well, what we've done. And Warren Hatch said, no, 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 no. Just answer yes or no. He says, well, if you look at no, 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 no. It's a simple yes or no question. And he, and he kept trying to explain it. And Warren Hatch getting angry, and he's saying, look, you know, this is a simple question. This is really down-to-earth, simple stuff. Yes or no? He's saying, well, we're cutting, we're cutting uh, $2.5 for every uh, dollar that we're spending. Well, no, those are pr not actual cuts. Those are cuts in proposed spending, not in spending right now. And that's where the problem comes in. They're not cutting the amount that they're going out now. They're, they cut the amount that's proposed to be spent in the future. They'll say, well, we won't spend that in the future. And, and we're going to spend another dollar more, which makes the $1.4 increase over that amount. But the guy would admit it. But that's exactly what it is. And he just wouldn't admit it. And when they grilled guy, he wouldn't admit it either even though that's exactly what they're doing. This is all fuzzy math. Oh, it's just, it's, it's just terrible that even when the people in Congress who know exactly what's going on, you know, the, granted, we have lives to live. We can't keep up on every move that the Congress makes. We have to trust somebody somewhere along the line. And the people that we trust that actually know what's going on, they're calling them on it, saying yes or no, yes or no, yes or no. And they will not answer yes or no because they know that it will harm them politically because they're lying to us. These people need to be – oh, they, they should be ashamed of themselves. They should absolutely be ashamed of themselves. And I, I just – I couldn't believe – I couldn't believe in the clip that I just played in a congressional hearing, Obama's claiming that this tax hike and the way that – He's handling this budget is divinely inspired. He's saying that what he's doing is divinely inspired. That is just incredible. Now he's claiming divine inspiration. 
the way he's going to run the budget of the country? Does this scare you as much as it scares me? Is this just not the most incredible thing you've ever heard? And yet, he gets on TV and lies about the whole thing. And his minions continue to lie about the whole thing. With this math that doesn't add up, they must have gone to one of our public schools because they can't do the math. It doesn't make any sense to cut $2.50 of future spending and then spend another dollar and say that you're cutting the budget. You're not. The budget's staying the same and you added another dollar to it. That's pretty simple. Oh, my goodness. Here's another one about the tax. Let, Let me play this other clip about taxes here. The year is 2014. Many Americans are feeling disenfranchised. People are isolated from their political leaders. They've been betrayed over and over and over again. Internet connects like-minded people and the Bubba effect. A rise in individual militias. Give me the, uh, real quick, how much are taxes in our scenario of 2014 to pay for all the stuff that we're doing? How much are taxes? We tried to pay for all of the spending we've done. And just the last 18 months with higher tax rates, Heritage Foundation and other groups have estimated the tax rates at the top would have to go to 80, 90, perhaps even 95 percent, which means that 95 percent of everything you make would have to go to the government just to pay for what we've already spent money on. Gerald, what happens to um, the people when you start taxing? Like tax revolts. Yeah, tax revolts. <laughs> we all heard it on CNBC yesterday. But you're, but you're not talking about a Tea, a tea Party. Oh, no, no, no. This is going to be violent. People can't afford it anymore. Okay. Look, cities are going to look like Dodge City. They're going to be uncontrollable. You're going to have gangs in control, motorcycle marauders. You're not going to have enough police of federales, just like Mexico, okay. to control the situation. Should I sell or hold out for a market increase? Peter? Well, you know, it's going to be difficult. You know, unfortunately, uh, what the government is doing, they're in the process of turning this recession into a depression. It's going to last for a long time. And unfortunately, the bear market in stocks, which has been going on since 2000, is going to continue for many, many years. But what she has to be understand is that the bear market in the bonds, which hasn't even begun yet, is likely to be even worse over time. So I think in the long run, Americans are going to lose even more money in bonds and in cash than they will in stocks. So I think that... She, she doesn't want to leave stocks, but I think she should look internationally. There's a lot more bargains outside the United States and inside the United States. Valuations are much better, and their governments are not undermining their economies to the extent that our government is undermining ours. And I think she should also look at commodities and precious metals, particularly gold and silver. But you know what he said is absolutely true, because, and it's coming true, because we're seeing uprisings on both sides about the way the financial system is going and the way that we have bailed everybody out and not got any of this money back. You know, when I was talking about GM making $7.6 billion in profits this year, and that all of that comes from the cars that they build and sell in China, this is the exact reason for the Tea Party, and it's the exact reason for the Occupy movement. Both of these groups are sick of this because it's killing us. We can't continue to do this. And when Timothy Geithner and his minions refuse to tell the truth about what they're doing with the budget and how they're doing the spending, all of this fuzzy stuff just makes it worse on top of that. It'll raise hair on the back of your neck. You're talking about this stuff with such hypocrisy and lies. And the clip that I just played from that um, Congressional Finance Committee meeting was proof of that. 
divine inspired. Uh, well, he wasn't divinely inspired by God, I'll tell you that. Because this is the start. And you know what the worst part is? The worst part is is our media refusing to tell us the truth or to tell us the whole story. You know, it used to be, I've mentioned this before, it used to be that the people that were reporting the, the news were the same people that were um, investing and creating the stories. But it's not like that anymore. Nowadays, we have talking heads who just sit in front of the camera and people bring them the news and they say, here's the news for today. Your job is just to read it. And it's the people behind the scenes and the higher-ups who are creating the news. And these are the same people that are snuggled up in bed with the Obama administration. Because they're not telling us the truth. They're saying that they created 3 million jobs. Well, well, that's great, but we've been down 30 million. So how does 3 million jobs mean that we're a success? I mean, Obama said in his when he was elected that if he couldn't turn this economy around by the end of his first three years, that he wouldn't run for office again. And now they've got a list of excuses as long as your arm of why he wasn't able to do it. He was elected with that promise. He said, I can do this. Here's what I do of what I'll do. Well, time has already passed. He hasn't even come close. In fact, he hasn't even moved on the issue until re-election time, which is now. He should be ashamed of himself. On top of that, not only Social Security will be broke in just a few years, you know, the FDIC has been broke for almost a year. The FDIC is the one that insures your bank accounts. They're broke. They have no money. If we had one bank in every state in the union go under and they had to cover, the FDIC had to cover the deposits for one bank in every state in the union, they couldn't do it because they're broke. But they just won't tell us the truth. When you hear the news, when you sit down to watch the national news, once you get past what's going on on TMZ and you know all of the baloney and stuff that really doesn't matter, listen to what they're saying. And really, of this stuff is true. You know, the crashing of our of our dollar is is not going to be only the only thing that's going to bring us down. We are on the verge of not only losing our sovereignty but losing our our religion as Christians. Because you know, everything is okay for every every other religion. But when it comes to Christianity, it's a different story. Because we are a Christian nation. And they're saying, no, we're not. Well, yeah, we always have been. That's what we're built on. They're saying no. So everything is against Christianity and for every other religion. Humanitarianism has been made a religion by the Supreme Court. And humanitarianism is the same group of people that are running Planned Parenthood. The board of directors of Planned Parenthood are 95% humanitarian. And these are the same people that are telling us as 
You can't push your your morals and religion on us. They are classified a religion, and they're allowed to push their morals and their religion on us. But we can't have anything to say about it. Our religion is in big trouble here, and so is our sovereignty. And the clip that I played in the beginning about Homeland Security monitoring anybody who comes out and says the kinds of things that I'm saying and how they do it without warrant or without reason. And if they don't like the things you're saying, put you on a list. <clears throat> what kind of list are they talking about? Well, you know, when it comes to our sovereignty and our rights as Americans, we are in as much, if not more, danger than the crash of our dollar. Now, our dollar's going down, make no doubt about it. You know, the BRIC countries, that's uh, Brazil, India, China, and Russia, they've, they've already got this thing in motion. India is using biometrics to catalog every person in their country, and there will be no more cash in their country. Everything's going to be done through biometrics, and they're almost halfway through that process now. And they are part of these BRIC countries. These BRIC countries are the ones that are saying we need to have a global economy, an economy where there's not one currency that, that dominates. And they're talking about us because the dollar is used throughout the world for international trade. If any country wants to buy oil, for instance, they can only do it with American dollars. They can't use their own currency. They have to trade their in for dollars and all oil – even in other countries, has to be traded with the dollar. And these Russia and China and India and Brazil are saying no more of that. Well, so what currency are they going to go to? Well, it's pretty clear with India already setting up this biometric program where no cash is needed. This will be, just like I said the other day, this will be the same as a bad science fiction movie where you go put your head up to the machine and it scans your iris and you get paid in credits. It's not a dollar or a yen or a mark or any of the Amero. It's not any of that stuff. It's just going to be a credit. So when you get a job, they're going to say, yeah, we pay, uh, we pay 15 and a half credits an hour. And that's what, that's what you'll make. It's no longer a cash currency. And in India, they're already setting this up, cataloging everybody. So you cannot buy or sell. When you go into a store and you go through the checkout line, they use this biometric system. That's how they're cataloging everybody. Because they have over people there. It would be hard to line everybody up at a station and get this. Instead, they're making it so that they, it just happens as people do business. If you buy something, if you sell something, whatever it is. And they're also doing that here in America. You know, I did a program on this a few weeks ago, and I showed in Louisiana they passed a law that says secondhand stores cannot use cash. They have to use e system or they have to use money orders or they're not allowed to use cash because they're saying because of this cash that people are getting ripped off their homes being broken into and it's for the safety and for enforcing the law that they're not allowed to use cash that now they have to use this new system but you know how that goes you know this is just like when it was splitting the out do you remember before we had the they, when they were able to figure out to split the atom and extract energy out of an atom, they realized right then what a powerful tool they had in being able to split that atom because the idea was 
that you would be able to harness this energy and supply everybody with free energy. That's that's nuclear fusion. Splitting that atom, atom that's nuclear fusion. And they said this will revolutionize the world. We'll have clean energy we can use all the time. And, and it came out as a good, solid thing. It's going to help humanity. And what did the corruption of mankind do? They took that and turned it into a weapon that wiped out and Nagasaki and killed millions of people, men, women, children, animals, devastated Nagasaki and, and Hiroshima. And what was intended to be a good energy source that would revolutionize the world, the corruption and power, hunger of mankind turned it into one of the most powerful weapons that's going to probably eventually destroy us as a world, not just as a country. So everything that starts out on a good premise can always be used for bad, and you can guarantee it will be. Because there's people just like the Obama administration who are power free. And just like Obama, he's ready to sink this country deeper and deeper and deeper in order for it to get real. That's what he cares about. So what the government has done is they've come up with a series of laws and agendas that are going to take away our sovereignty. You know, this started in the early 90s with the UN resolution called uh, Agenda 21. And Agenda 21 is a climate change agenda that's um, sent us through the UN being adopted by people all over the world. It was adopted by us, by George Bush Sr., and brought back to America um, this Agenda 21 um, as climate change and um, a way to control where people can live, what they can do, what they can drive, what kind of energy they can use, what kind of crops they can grow, um, where they can grow them, how they can grow them, um, how we do business. You know, if you're a manufacturer and, you know, you produce widgets, then you have to produce them the way the government says. Otherwise, you're going to be in violation of these um, stained livability laws that are all embedded in Agenda 21. Well, George Bush Sr. brought it back and adopted it. Bill Clinton is the one that officially adopted it by the government, and he did this by executive order. It was not approved by the Congress, by Senate, or by the people of the United States. By executive order, he adopted this plan as being part of um, the U.S. agenda, Agenda 21 from the U.N., with the idea that they're going to save the climate from global warming and that everything will now be sustainable. And it has grown to the point where George Bush Jr., um, he acted partially on this, but Al Gore is the one that hopped on the bandwagon and started pushing this because Al Gore was with Bill Clinton when they adopted it. And Al, Al Gore obviously seen the opportunity here to make the – Millions and millions and millions of dollars that he's already made off of this thing. And that's why he's pushing this. Even though there's over 30,000 scientists, climatologists, and physicists that say that none of this is man-made, that this is a cycle that's been happening over and over and over again. And they have proof. And they go to the global warming people and they say, we have proof. What you're saying is not true. Put your evidence on the table. We'll put our evidence on the table and see who's Who's right and who's wrong? Global warming people refuse to do it. 
They refuse. They say, no, the debate is over. And these over 30,000 physicists, scientists, and climatologists say it hasn't even started. We've got solid proof that you are wrong. They said, no, no, we're not going to debate it. If they're so right, why won't they debate it? If they're absolutely sure about what they're saying, that the world is going in the toilet because of man driving cars and doing all this stuff that we're doing, why won't they put their evidence out there? No, instead, this is secret stuff. And they're just saying, you just have to trust us. This is how it is. Well, this is Agenda 21. This all laid out in Agenda 21. Now, you know, we've come to the point now where the only way that they're going to be able to implement any of this stuff is if they get control of the people, us, Americans, because, you know, we are a proud, patriotic people who love our country. And they've got to get that out of us in order to get us more in the global climate um, arena, because we're not going to go into that without a fight. And they know that. So, so they're putting laws into place. They're creating scenarios that's just slowly, step by step, bringing us down further and further and further. They're doing the same thing that the Muslims say that they're going to do to us. That's death by a thousand cuts. Muslims say they will have Sharia law in America, and they're not going to storm us with troops. Instead, this is death by a thousand cuts. And that's exactly what the Obama administration, and not just the Obama administration. I'm not just picking on Obama. This was also Bush and Clinton and Al Gore, and the progressives in general are the ones that are pushing this. Anybody that's pushing this climate change thing and saying this is absolutely what we have to do, they are part of this death by a thousand cuts so they're putting laws into place under underneath our our noses behind the radar so that we don't see these things and they're doing it by giving the government the federal government power of detention and they're they're using terrorism as the premise to do this and what it does is give them the power to initiate martial law Once they do that, and they have the power to do that, they say it's because of possible domestic terrorists. Well, you know, I'm all for um, the sleeper we may have in this country to being able to nab these guys and not let them do what, what they have planned on doing, which is their only way to heaven is to be a martyr when you're a Muslim. Otherwise, you're going to hell, and they know it. So they put these hours of detention and martial law into place so they can – they can declare martial law, and they can, under the Terrorism Act, they can detain anybody who they deem to be a domestic terrorist. They can detain that person without charges and without a trial for an indefinite amount of time, which is the explanation for the FEMA camps that are being set up all over the place. And, you know, for those of you who may be saying, oh, that's just conspiracy, well, no, it's not. You know, you're buying into the big lie that they're telling you that this is all conspiracy because I'm telling you this is not conspiracy. So I'm going to back this up like I always do with um, clips from credible news agencies from CNBC, CNN, um, sometimes from government people themselves that are saying that these things are in place. Let's start with the power of detention, which I will play for you. Right now, though, this is the power um, to detain people. Listen to this. 
tonight with a tale of two speeches, both from the same man, both from President Obama. One speech that could have been billed as a ballad to the Constitution, a proclamation of American values, a repudiation of the lawless behavior of the last presidential administration, and another speech announcing a radical new claim of presidential power that is not afforded by the Constitution and that has never been attempted in American history, even by George W. Bush and Dick Cheney. Remarkably, President Obama today made both of those speeches simultaneously. Standing inside the National Archives in front of the actual original Constitution, President Obama delivered a blistering critique of the Bush administration in which he called their actions and their legacy literally a mess. Our government made a series of hasty decisions. Poorly planned, haphazard approach. Too often, we set those principles aside as luxuries that we could no longer afford. Our government made decisions based on fear rather than foresight. The decisions that were made over the last eight years established an ad hoc legal approach for fighting terrorism that was neither effective nor sustainable. An ad hoc legal approach for fighting terrorism that was neither effective nor sustainable. Ouch. Then, moments later, he announced his own, his own ad hoc legal approach for fighting terrorism. President Obama today proposed something new, something called prolonged detention. Doesn't sound that bad, right? Prolonged detention. Did you ever see the movie Minority Report? It was based on a Philip K. Dick short story. It came out in 2002. It starred Tom Cruise, remember? He played a police officer in something called the Department of Pre-Crime. Pre-crime is where people are arrested and incarcerated to prevent crimes that they have not yet committed. Mr. Marks, by mandate of the District of Columbia Pre-Crime Division, I'm placing you under arrest for the future murder of Sarah Marks and Donald Dubinos take place today, April 22nd, at 0800 hours, four minutes. No, I didn't do anything. You didn't do anything, but you're gonna. Future murder. Creepy, right? Putting somebody in jail, not for what they've done, but for what you're very sure they're going to do? There may be a number of people who cannot be prosecuted for past crimes. In some cases because evidence may be tainted. But who nonetheless pose a threat to the security of the United States. We're not prosecuting them for past crimes, but we need to keep them in prison because of our expectation of their future crimes. Al-Qaeda terrorists and their affiliates are at war with the United States, and those that we capture, like other prisoners of war, must be prevented from attacking us again. Prevented. We will incarcerate people preventively. Preventive incarceration. Indefinite detention without trial. That's what, that's what this is. That's what President Obama proposed today. If you strip away the euphemisms. One civil liberties advocate told the New York Times today, quote, we've known this was on the horizon for many years, but we were able to hold it off with George Bush. The idea that we might find ourselves fighting with the Obama administration over these powers is really stunning. And it is stunning, particularly to hear President Obama claim the power to keep people in prison indefinitely with no charges against them, no conviction, no sentence, just imprisonment. It's particularly stunning to hear him make that claim in the middle of a speech that was all about the rule of law. But we must do so with an abiding confidence in the rule of law. Our government was defending positions that undermine the rule of law to ensure that they are in line with the rule of law. How can a president 
speak the kind of poetry that President Obama does about the rule of law and call for the power to indefinitely, preventively imprison people because they might commit crimes in the future. How can those two things coexist in the same man, even in the same speech? Well, that brings us to the self-consciously awkward, embarrassing part of this speech today. After condemning the Bush administration for what he called their ad hoc legal strategy for trying to make things seem legal that patently weren't, this is what President Obama proposed. My administration has begun to reshape the standards that apply to ensure that they are in line with the rule of law. We must have clear, defensible, and lawful standards for those who fall into this category. We must have a thorough process of periodic review so that any prolonged detention is carefully evaluated and justified. Our goal is to construct a legitimate legal framework for the remaining Guantanamo detainees that cannot be transferred. Our goal is not to avoid a legitimate legal framework. In our constitutional system, prolonged detention should not be the decision of any one man. If and when we determine that the United States must hold individuals to keep them from carrying out an act of war, we will do so within a system that involves judicial and congressional oversight. And so going forward, my administration will work with Congress to develop an appropriate legal regime so that our efforts are consistent with our values and our Constitution. You'll construct a legal regime to make indefinite detention legal. You will, what does he say? Develop an appropriate legal regime so you can construct a whole new system outside the courts, even outside the military commissions, so that you can indefinitely imprison people without charges. And you'll build that system from scratch. What's that somebody said about ad hoc legal strategies? Just for context here, in the United Kingdom, where there isn't even a Bill of Rights, there's been a major debate about whether people can be held in preventive detention. Former British Prime Minister Tony Blair wanted three months to be the outer limit for how long anyone could be held. There was a big political fight about it. Parliament ended up limiting that power to 28 days. 28 days is still the longest period of preventive detention that's allowed under law in any comparable democracy anywhere in the world. How long would President Obama's proposed preventive indefinite detention last? Well, he's not saying yet, but here's how he defines the threat that he says makes indefinite detention necessary. Right now in distant training camps and in crowded cities, there are people plotting to take American lives. That will be the case a year from now, five years from now, and in all probability, ten years from now. Ten years from now. So you could get arrested today and locked up without a trial, without being convicted, without being sentenced for, say, 10 years until the threat of your future criminal behavior passes. Prolonged detention, he's calling it. This is a beautiful speech from President Obama today with patriotic, moving, even poetic language about the rule of law and the Constitution and one of the most radical proposals for defying the Constitution that we have ever heard made to the American people. All right, so in his speech, what did he say? He said he wants to do this in a way that's consistent with the Constitution. So what does he think is consistent with the Constitution? Now, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you a, a stark contrast to what he just said and what his opinion really is about the Constitution. This. And dining over Thanksgiving and maybe watching some football games, big government Republicans and Democrats 
We're busy shredding the last vestiges of the Constitution. They're talking about inserting the Army into domestic law enforcement. Senator Lindsey Graham, who supports this bill, says, quote, the homeland is part of the battlefield, and people can be held without trial, whether an American citizen or not. I, Barack Hussein Obama, do solemnly swear to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. The original Constitution, I think it is an imperfect document, and I think it is a document that reflects uh, some deep flaws uh, in uh, American culture, the colonial culture nascent at that time. I think we can say that uh, uh, the Constitution reflected a enormous blind spot in this culture and that the framers uh, had that same blind spot. It also uh, re reflected the fundamental flaw of this country that continues to See, he thinks the Constitution is fundamentally flawed. He said before that he thinks the Constitution is a living, breathing document that needs to change with the times. And this is a Constitution, my friend, that has worked for us for over 200 years and has made us the country that we are up until recently. It's worked without a, without a problem. It has made us the most unique country in the history of the world. And he says it's fundamentally flawed that the people were blinded and came up with this. And he wants to create a regime, a new law system that's consistent with the Constitution that he thinks is flawed. Now, they said, they said that the threat comes from the homeland, from here, from America. So if they determine you to be a terrorist, they can hold you without without charges for an indefinite amount of time. They can start to say initiate martial law anywhere that they want to and detain the people who they determine to be terrorists. Who are terrorists? Let's see who they say the terrorists are. Department of Homeland Security sent to law enforcement agencies across the country warning about the potential for an increase in right-wing extremist activity. It warns about groups and individuals dedicated to single issues like abortion, immigration, and gun rights, and even raises a red flag about veterans returning home from the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Some people, understandably, when they caught word of this yesterday, have issues today. J. Allen Seculo, uh, Chief Counsel of the American Center for Law and Justice. How are you doing, sir? Good morning to you. What do you hey, make Bill. of this? Good to see you again. Well, listen, this is outrageous. I've got the report in my hand. I've read it. I couldn't believe it when I came out. Bill, I, wanted, I had our office verify that it was actually correct. When I read it, uh, there's one thing that's glaringly missing here. No discussion about the real terrorists, uh, the al-Qaeda cell groups and others that are located inside the United it's States. It's all about Instead, domestic. It's, the most, it's, it's, it's yeah, not overseas. The most it, it literally changes the entire focus for the Department of Homeland correct. Security has been doing. Correct. And it says domestic terrorists, the most dangerous, are single-issue domestic terrorists. And as you said, that includes pro-lifers, that includes people concerned about the issue of immigration, and returning what they call radicalized veterans from the Iraq and uh, Gulf War. Interestingly, the whole article, the whole assessment, as they called it, is entitled Right-Wing Extremism, Radicalization, and Recruitment. I want to tell the Department of Homeland Security, do us all a favor, catch the real terrorists. Don't worry about the grandmother on the street corner 
holding up a pro-life sign or some guy that legally goes in and buys a gun for hunting. Uh, and returning veterans should be handled by Veterans Affairs and make sure they're incorporated back into the uh, well, society. I, uh, we owe that to our I veterans. But to call them terrorists is just outrageous. I think it's yeah. interesting you bring up the veterans because this is what the FBI is reporting now. In this report, the FBI says, from October of 2001, to May of 2008, that's seven plus years, a quote, minuscule number of veterans out of 23,000 coming home, how many are said to be linked to some right-wing radical group? 203. That's the number yeah, they're going off of. Yeah, and, and there was one abortion violent act, and the guy wasn't pro-life, it was uh, Eric Wayne Rudolph, 14 years ago. Uh, here's the problem with this. This is the direction. The message needs to be very clear here. The Obama administration here under Department of Homeland Security has allowed a new regime to come into place that basically says this. Our focus is going to be on the right-wing groups, the pro-lifers, those that are opposed to various immigration policies. And they based the whole report, Bill, on this idea that we've got a new president and some people aren't happy about that. So they're using this report to stifle speech because they're trying to label all of us that are concerned about these issues. And I've litigated more pro-life cases at the Supreme Court of the United States and, than a lot of lawyers have. And this idea that my clients are now all right-wing radicals that are extremists and dangerous and the most violent domestic terrorists because they have, have a picket sign in front of an abortion clinic uh, is no. preposterous. This is a flashback this, to 20 years ago. Is, we won then, we'll win this again. I don't mean to interrupt you here. I just want to squeeze in this final yeah. point here. Apparently this was mailed out on the 7th of April, which was a week ago. Yeah. Uh, now you take a look at what's happening across the country today. People are gathering in public places to protest big government sure. without making a Single link to it. Do you? I mean, is it possible? Sure. There's a connection Listen, this report absolutely. comes out a week before it happens? Look, it's a single issue. The, 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 a lot of the media, of course, Fox is doing a great job of covering it. A lot of the media is ignoring what's going to be a huge event uh, today all over the country. My own son's speaking at one of them in New York City. And uh, I'll tell you this. Uh, they are focusing on single issue. They're going to say tax reform is a single issue issue. These are right-wing extremists. Uh, you've got some states that have issued reports saying look at the people's bumper stickers on their cars and make a determination on terrorism there. The message we need is to be sending back to DHS, Department of Homeland Security, and I did a lot of work on the Patriot Act. Uh, when uh, John Ashcroft was the Attorney General. The message needs to be, do us all a favor, get the terrorists that are trying to harm the country, not the grandmother holding the sign in front of the abortion no. clinic. From Nashville. Thank you, Jay, for coming in today. Thanks, Bill. All right, 20 Thanks. minutes back. All right, this clip played in the beginning of the program with DHS, Department of Homeland Security, monitoring people like me who are in the air exposes stuff. Uh, which means I could be put on a list as a domestic terrorist because I'm exposing these things. That could apply to anybody, not just anybody who comes on and talks about these things and exposes these people for who they are. means that we could possibly threaten and be held in detention with charges and without a trial as a threat. Those of us who are not about abortion or who are worried about illegal immigration, which is really even about illegal immigration. It's about Hezbollah and Hamas being right across the border in the business of being coyotes and making money from bringing illegals across the border. And the program I did a few weeks ago proved that. I, I played the secret recordings of the meetings that they had. They're also smuggling drugs across our border. We're funding Hamas and Hezbollah by leaving that border open. And the, and the people that are pro-open border 
interpreter, and it's a human rights issue. What kind of Christian are you if you're not going to let somebody cross the border and just work and make a better family for themselves? How loving is that? They're trying to use the whole thing against us. So we could be labeled as terrorists, domestic terrorists, because, like they said, the problem is here on the homeland. Now, here's another example. Listen to this.
and Umatilla is on the western side, about 200 miles from where I'm at. Now, Umatilla is um, where the Umatilla Army Depot is. That's where we store chemical and biological weapons for the U.S. And I've been through Umatilla many times. <laughs> and there are a couple big buildings there that are surrounded by extremely tall fences with Constantine wire on the top. They kind of look like prisons. Um, I always they were big um, or something along those lines. I don't know. I mean, they're often often the huge plot. Umatilla, there, there's a major highway that runs down the center of of these plots where all these chemical biological weapons are stored. And as you look out over, over tons of acres, it's all flat. You see little mounds. And at the end of each mound is uh, a, an opening where you go down and there's a door. Because all of these chemical and biological weapons are stored underground. And each one of these little mounds bunker. And when you go on the road and you look off to the left or to the right, just see row after row after row after row after row of these bunkers. I mean, there's got to be thousands of them. And each one of them are storing our chemical biological weapons. If you're going to set up a FEMA camp, would it make any sense to do it at some place like the Umatilla Army Depot, where most dangerous weapons. Uh, I, you know, I guess it could be an army people. So I guess it's possible, but these FEMA camps are um, are things up all over the place. Um, just in anticipation of this, um, also uh, large areas where where they have stored things like uh, thousands and thousands of body bags and casket liners, um, uh, things along the line. Uh, I have a little clip here about a FEMA camp. It's relatively short. You know, there's there's a watchdog group that goes around from state to state, and they hunt down these FEMA camps. They're trying to make people aware that these things are not conspiracy. These are actually true, real places um, that are set up and, and have... Well, you'll see. Listen to this. The FEMA plans to imprison American citizens have generated a lot of interest around the country in locating the potential prison camps throughout the country or facilities that have other uses but which could be quickly used to detain large numbers of people, such as this Amtrak facility in Beech Grove, Indiana. All of these apparent security measures are particularly unusual here because this is a very low crime area and this facility is nothing but an old train repair station with nothing in it worth stealing. In this portion of the parking lot is a brick building, suitable for processing, next to a gate that leads right out to the railroad tracks, and all of this is contained inside a fully fenced area, now three layers deep in fencing at this point. This U.S. Air Force train indicates federal and military involvement. Facing the opposite direction, you can see that this area, too, is a very large fenced area with railroad track running the length of the fence and plenty of warehouses. This small building is the only way into a particular fenced area. Inside this building, we see more of the motion-activated detectors, electronic turnstiles, and prison bars. 
Outside this building is fencing and a cattle-run section of fence, all topped by barbed wire, pointing inward not to keep people out, but to keep people in. The other side of the building, you'll see signs that say Red Zone, right up next to the railroad tracks that run the length of the fenced area. Next to the Red Zone sign, you can see closely numbered markers on the fences that are too closely spaced to be parking markers, just as if they plan to have people line up to board the trains. Looking around, you can get an idea of how huge this place is and how many people it could contain in its fenced-in area. In yet another fenced area, we see a large warehouse building at the end with the electronic turnstiles in front of it. The building is one that has a new concrete floor and its doors and windows have all been blocked. Outside, there are new gas pipes. Even as we were filming, a black helicopter flew over us, observing what we were doing, which has happened many times when we have been at the facility. The gas lines and gas pipes at the facility run the length of the buildings. come out at some very, very large, brand new furnaces that have been installed at the buildings throughout the facility. Now, you think that I'd bring something like this to you and not be able to back that up? Oh, no. And notice she was describing it, how she described the cattle runs. Now, for you city dwellers that don't know what a cattle run is, that's when fencing is set up so that you can only go one direction. It's narrow and tall, and it's designed for cattle to be pushed into one certain area. There's no place else they can go. So they put the cattle in that cattle run and then give them swat on the butt or whatever it takes to get them going and pushes them forward through this cattle run and directs them into one area only. Well, this is a cattle run, but it's not set up for cattle. This is set up for people. So you put the people in between these tall fences, with contain wire, and she said these fences are now three deep. Three deep. And that the barbed wire at the top is pointing inward. That's keeping people from getting out. When, when the barbed wire is pointed outward, that's to keep people from getting in. Well, this barbed wire at this place has government... Um, vehicles on it, a government train and other government vehicles on it has the barbed wire pointed inward so people can't get it. Now, you know, just to back this up, there was a downright startling clip here from a congressional a congressional vote where we're voting on the power to not only put people in these um, FEMA camps, but to be able to hold them um, with the same thing we've been talking about for uh, uh, classifying them as domestic terrorists and doing it for an undetermined amount of time without charges and without a trial. Now, in, in this next clip that we're going to play you that's going to that's approve all of this, this is, this is a clip from Congress. 
and you'll notice that when Congress reads the bill that they're about to pass, I want you to listen carefully, because as he reads this bill, there's a lot of stuff in here that's classified, but, and he's going to say that it's classified, but listen to what he says in between these classifieds as to reason the bill. And this is going to go back to a few weeks ago, we talked about the N1H1 and the N5H1 viruses. Now, for the few who have missed it, the N1H1 scare started in Mexico. Remember that? In small town, N1H1, there were like people killed and uh, an entire village sick. And this village in Mexico was 30 kilometers, approximately 30 kilometers, from a bioresearch lab. And the thought is that that was the only town that was affected. After that, the alarm went out, and there were a couple of people here and there that stick outside of the village. And since they crossed over the border illegally into this country, there was, you know, eight or ten cases down by the border um, uh, and of course, the media made this deal out of it. That this was a pandemic, and which prompted then Obama to give billions of dollars to the drug companies to come up in those 30 days with vaccine for this. This was swine flu, avian flu, and bird flu combined. It was all of these flus together. That's why they didn't have a vaccine for it. Well, it's like these. Three flus just got together over dinner and said, hey, let's join forces and make a super flu that nobody has a cure for. Well, of course not. They were put together, and they either escaped, leaked out, or were released, one or the other. I'm not going to speculate which one of those it was, but obviously they were put together because those three flus don't combine together on their own. And we have further proof that that's the case when we talk about the N5H1. Anyway... So when that happened, you remember the Obama administration paid the companies millions and millions of dollars to create this vaccine. And then the drug companies came back with this vaccine and was charging us for it. After we paid for its creation with our tax dollars, they took that vaccine and started charging us $25, $30 a vaccine. And we're supposed to think all of that was legitimate? If we've already paid for it, why do we have to pay for the shot? We're paying for it twice. And it just, it's just uh, its suspicious that we would pay them millions of dollars to come up with this vaccine and then have them charge us for it. Well, as we know, the N5H1, at, they did the same thing. Now, this was the N5H1 was a flu virus that, was not contagious. It couldn't be passed from human to human because it just went among animals and they didn't have a cure for if it was to go into humans. So what they did is they mutated the N5H1 to see if it could be spread from person to person. And they were successful. It mutated into a form where it could be passed from person to person through the air. So at that point, they've created a new virus with no vaccine that they said killed 60% of everyone who got it. And then they were set to publish their results. They were going to publish how they mutated this thing into a deadly virus with no cure. Well, people got an uproar, and they said, you cannot release this. What if terrorists get a hold of that? 
I mean, potentially, you could destroy an entire civilization with information like that. The scientists didn't care. My point here is that that was created. And if they're creating this kind of, on a regular basis, if they're doing this kind of research, then why would we not think that the N1H1, which had all three of those flus put together, was not created? Of course. It's the only thing that makes sense because we the N5 one is proof that they're doing that research all over the world. I mean, they did that with the N5 in a university. So Congress came up with new laws that would allow them to take control of the American civilization, the population, in ways that we've been talking about for the last half hour or so. And that's <clears throat> determining if somebody's a threat, being able to detain them. Now, I'm going to play this clip, and I'll play it a second time if somebody requests it. But listen closely to what he says when he says, in case of classified or flesh-eating classified or – listen to this clip. This this will make your butt pucker. Listen to this. Congress shall now vote for approval of H.R. 8791, the Homeland Terrorism Preparedness Bill. Uh, said bill requests emergency response funding up to and including – I'm sorry, this section is classified. Uh, dollars to prepare for a national level terrorist attack and or attack from classified. Funding for first responder personnel and vehicles would be doubled if said attack leads to more than 80% of national population being affected by classified. This funding shall commence in conjunction with the first attack on um, classified or the first large-scale outbreak of classified dependent upon which comes first. Civilian and military units shall be trained in containment and combat of classified, including irradiated classified with possibility of classified airborne, classified flesh-eating, classified, and or all of the above in such event as classified spewing, classified escape are released or otherwise become uncontrollable. Air Force units may also be directed to combat said classified due to their enormous size and otherworldly strengths. Should event occur in urban areas, Jesus, that's, that's classified, far surpassing our darkest nightmares. Should casualties uh, exceed classified body disposal actions, shall be halted and associated resources shall be reallocated to classified underground, classified protected birthing centers. A new Bill of Rights shall be drafted and approved by classified. Having now reviewed the bill, I ask you to please cast your votes. Are you kidding me? Do you hear what he said? Can I tell you that that would make you butt fucker? I'm telling you what. They know exactly what they're doing. Otherwise, they wouldn't have this. They wouldn't have come up with this. Flesh-eating, airborne, body disposal, birthing centers. What is a birthing center? That's a FEMAP. And in the FEMA camp clip that I just played, what, should, what did she describe? She described new piping and new furnaces. Huge, large furnaces. So if something like the 
N1H1 or the N5H1 escaped and started killing people on a mass basis, how would you keep that from spe spreading through all of these dead bodies? You would have to incinerate them. People are infected, you would have to contain them. You would have to quarantine them. And that's exactly what they were describing in that FEMA camp description. Places where people could be contained in a cattle run. And Congress has been to, or they did, they did pass that. Which also comes across the, the martial law. Being able to um, institute martial law anywhere. Uh, I have a clip. I have a clip on that, but I have so much other stuff to cover here. I don't want to cheat anybody out of some information here. I've probably got more than I'll be able to do in the time period that we have here. Uh, play the, I'm not sure the right one. It's the wrong one. I'll stop it and play the other one. We're holding today's hearing, and we welcome you, Secretary Geithner, to, to the Okay, that was the wrong one. Since 9-11, and seemingly without the notice of most Americans, the federal government has assumed the authority to institute martial law, arrest a wide swath of dissidents, citizen and non-citizen alike, and detain people without legal or constitutional recourse in the event of an emergency influx of immigrants in the U.S., or to support the rapid development of new programs beginning in 1999, the government has entered into a series of single bid contracts with Halliburton subsidiary Kellogg, Brown and Root, KBR, to build detention camps at undisclosed locations within the United States. The government has also contracted with several companies to build thousands of rail cars, some reportedly equipped with shackles, ostensibly to transport detainees. According to diplomat and author Peter Dale Scott, the KBR contract is part of a Homeland Security plan titled Endgame which sets as its goal the removal of all removable aliens and potential terrorists. Fraudbusters such as Representative Henry Waxman, D. Los Angeles, have complained about these contracts, saying that more taxpayer dollars should not go to taxpayer-gouging Halliburton. But the real question is, what kind of new programs require the construction and refurbishment of detention facilities in nearly every state of the Union with the capacity to house perhaps millions of people? Sect. 1042 of the 2007 National Defense Authorization Act, NDAA, use of the armed forces in major public emergencies, gives the executive the power to invoke martial law. For the first time in more than a century, the President is now authorized to use the military in response to a natural disaster, a disease outbreak, a terrorist attack, or any other condition in which the President determines that domestic violence has occurred to the extent that state officials cannot maintain public order. The Military Commissions Act of 2006, ran through Congress just before the 2006 midterm elections, allows for the indefinite imprisonment of anyone who donates money to a charity that turns up on a list of terrorist organizations or who speaks out against the government's policies. The law calls for secret trials for citizens and non-citizens alike. Also in 2007, the White House quietly issued National Security Presidential Directive 51 and SPD 51 to ensure continuity of government in the event of what the document vaguely calls a catastrophic emergency. 
Should the President determine that such an emergency has occurred, he and he alone is empowered to do whatever he deems necessary to ensure continuity of government. This could include everything from canceling elections to suspending the Constitution to launching a nuclear attack. Congress has yet to hold a single hearing on NSPD 51. U.S. Representative Jane Harman, D. Venice, Los Angeles County has come up with a new way to expand the domestic war on terror. Her violent radicalization and homegrown terrorism prevention act of 2007, H.R. 1955, which passed the House by the lopsided vote of 404-6, would set up a commission to examine and report upon the facts and causes of so-called violent radicalism and extremist ideology, then make legislative recommendations on combating it. According to commentary in the Baltimore Sunday, Representative Harmon and her colleagues from both sides of the aisle believe the country faces a native brand of terrorism and needs a commission with sweeping investigative power to combat it. A clue as to where Harmon's commission might be aiming is the Animal Enterprise Terrorism Act, a law that labels those who engage in sit-ins, civil disobedience, trespass, or any other crime in the name of animal rights as terrorists. Other groups in the crosshairs could be anti-abortion protesters, anti-tax agitators, immigration activists, environmentalists, peace demonstrators, Second Amendment rights. Okay, so you get the idea there. That, that clip is much longer, but we're running out of time. We only have half hour left, and i got another two hours worth of material here. But you get the idea that the whole thing is set up along with uh, AR 8791. That was the worst of... Yeah, probably the worst. The first one that I played at the congressional hearing with the classified. Now, if you want to check this yourself, you can, because what I'm telling you here is absolutely true. This is H.R. 8791. You can look that up on the Internet. Also, H.R. 1955. You can look that one up. Or S.E.D. 51. That's the martial law initiative. You can also look that one up where they, instead of working to prevent these things, they're preparing for it to just happen. And they're going to do that by taking away our rights and our sovereignty. They could potentially suspend the Constitution. You heard in the clip from the H.R. 8791 that they could draft a new Bill of Rights that would be approved by quote-unquote, classified. And we have them doing things like the N5H1 and the N1H1. Now, these are just the ones that we know about. How many of these things are they doing on the side that we don't know anything about? These are just a couple of them that have, the information has leaked out. And the N5H1 only came out because they threatened to publish that information. Which, by the way, when they made a big deal about it and said that, um, that they weren't um, going to let Publication, all information on it stopped. Not that they didn't publish it, but we didn't hear anything else about it. We didn't hear anything else about it, whether it was published or not or what happened. All communication to us about the issue stopped. So we have no idea if it's been published or uh, theoretically they have the right to publish it. I mean, that's the idea of scientific experiments, discoveries, and new innovations is they publish that stuff um, with all new inventions. You know, the airplane, the telephone, the electricity, all of that stuff is 
was scientifically published. And the idea behind publishing it is because anything that's science, you, you have to be able to reproduce. If you can't reproduce, then it might just be a fluke, and you can't call it science. It's not science until everybody has the opportunity to reproduce it. If everybody can reproduce your experiment with the same exalt results, then that's science. So the same thing happened with Dolly. Uh, when Dolly was uh, cloned, Dolly the Sheep, if you remember that, Dolly was cloned, they had to publish how they did that. Other people asked to see if this was just a fluke or if they were pulling our legs or what the deal was. So it has to be able to be reproduced, <clears throat> which is, by the way, where the whole uh, climate change thing, they won't publish their findings so it can be reproduced. They're saying that the debate is over. If they put their information out there, then science could take what they did and try to reproduce it, but they won't release that. So the whole idea behind this, I don't want to get off track there, the whole idea behind this is that they have the ability to take away not only our rights and to detain us through Mars law in what's clearly described as schema camps or birthing centers for whatever has happened, whether it's a natural disaster, terrorist attack, some sort of flu disease, either natural or manufactured. They now have laws in place that they deal with that, tip us of our rights and our sovereignty and just take control of the country in a pretty alarming way. Now, this is going to be especially um, poignant for those of us who are Christian. And if and when, and I say if and when, this happens. I'm not going to say that, that this is exactly what's going to happen, but... Uh, so then we as Christians are going to be on top of the block because we know that not only government but other society has a Christianity where every other religion is, is free to dislike and they get special privileges from the constitution saying government will not um, government will not um, inhibit anybody's um, right to practice their religion, and they have turned that into separation of church and state. And if you ask these people if if separation of church and state is in the Constitution, they're going to say, yes, it's in there that the state has anything to do with the Constitution they're gonna say, or with religion. They're going to say that's in, in the Constitution, or they'll say it's in the Bill of Rights. And that is neither one of them. It is not in the Constitution. I have the Constitution right in front of me. It's not in the Bill of Rights. I also have the Bill of Rights right there. It's not there. This thing came about from a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to somebody. He wrote him and asked him a question. This person asked the question, is government going to make us subscribe to um, state-run religion? And he said, no. That That's what the whole thing in the Constitution says, is that you are free to practice whatever religion you want. There's not going to be a state-run religion. And he had this wall of separation there. The state will set up its own religion to practice whatever religion you want. That was a, his return letter. That is not in the Constitution. It's not in the Bill of Rights. It's not in any government document anywhere. That's his letter 
respect to that person who wrote that. But you ask them, you ask these people who who are big separatists, is it in the Constitution? Is it in the Bill? It's there. I've got a little booklet here that is the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights. It's all, all in a little handy pocketbook. And, and I recommend that everybody who cares about this issue get one. Because you can open it up and say, where? Show me anywhere in any of these documents it says that. It's not there. That's how against how against Christianity that they are. Because it only applies to Christianity. Because you'll notice in, in colleges, in, in buildings, um, institutions all over the street, they're creating prayer rooms for Muslims. So time for Muslims to pray. They have a place where they can go pray. On the other hand, Christians can't do any of that. Christians can have churches in, in schools on the weekends. I did this story about that, where they, um, the school rents out the building on weekends to um, a church who has a service there on every Sunday, and the school makes money now. They say have to stop doing that because of the separated church and state. But in those same buildings, they're setting rooms for Muslims. So the Muslims have a place to pray. Now, does that make any sense? It makes the words on Christianity, not on all religions. But they like our values. They like thing about us. And it comes down from the very top. Because, you know, President Obama claims all the time to be a Christian. And I'm bringing up Obama again, not necessarily disparage Obama, even though he's clearly not a Christian, but because these policies roll downhill. His administration, the people he puts in place under him, um, and all of his committees and all of that stuff have to be people that agree with him. So, when I say Obama, I entire Obama administration because birds fed flock together. I'm not going to put people under you to do your work who don't agree with you. That doesn't make any sense. So, we see exactly what Obama feels about Christians in the U.S. Um, the truth, no matter what he says, let's see what he acts. Department of Homeland Security sent to law enforcement agencies across the country warning about the potential for an increase in right-wing extremist activity. We are no longer a Christian nation. We are also a Muslim nation, a nation of non-believers. And moreover, given the increasing diversity of America's populations, the dangers of sectarianism are greater than ever. Whatever we once were, we are no longer a Christian nation, at least not just. We are also a Jewish nation, a Muslim nation, and a Buddhist nation, and a Hindu nation, and a nation of non-believers. Wow, when did they slip that in us? That we're no longer a Christian nation. Hmm. I guess I just didn't see that one coming. So if his affiliation, if his heart does not lie in the 
the foundation of America, which is Christianity, always has been. Yes, we allow other religions. We allow Jewish and Muslim and Buddhist and atheist and I mean, we're the big melting pot. All of those people are. All of those people are welcome. However, the country's foundation is Christian. Always has been. Apparently, Mr. Obama doesn't think that uh, there should be anymore. Uh, you know, it makes me wonder where his alliance really, really lies. Now, let me play you a clip. Uh, let's see, do I have it here? Oh, maybe I don't. But, but I had I had a clip here uh, that I've played many times on the program before where he mocks the Bible. And he quotes Deuteronomy and Numbers and mocks the Bible saying that it's an evil book because it promotes slavery and it promotes stoning your child if you move away from uh, from the religion and and then mocks us and says, uh, you should, people should know this. Have you been reading your Bible? And, you know, he just says it in a smart, smart-alecky, smart way. You know, it's the whole way he says it. Well, let's see where his alliance really lies. Let's see what he says about where his heart really is. As a student of history, I also know civilization's debt to Islam. It was Islam that places like Uluzad that carried the light of learning through so many centuries, paving the way for Europe's renaissance and enlightenment. It was innovation in Muslim communities. It was innovation in Muslim communities that developed the order of algebra, our magnetic compass and tools of navigation, our mastery of pens and printing, our understanding of how disease spreads and how it can be healed. Islamic culture has given us majestic arches and soaring spires, timeless poetry and cherished music, elegant calligraphy and places of peaceful contemplation. And throughout history, Islam has demonstrated through words and deeds the possibilities of religious tolerance and racial equality. Tolerance and equality is what Islam is. Now, for somebody who was mocking the Bible, wasn't that an unusual amount of praise for Islam, when he mocks the Bible, let's see why he feels that way. Now, part of this conviction is rooted in my own experience. I'm a Christian, but my father came from a Kenyan family that includes generations of Muslims. As a boy, I spent several years in Indonesia and heard the call of the Azan at the break of dawn and at the fall of dusk.
Well, he heard the call of the Azan at the break of dawn and at the fall of dusk. Because his parents And I'll tell you what. When the call to prayer came in the morning and at dusk and his parents were on the prayer mat, he was too. And Muslim, Muslim family is not going to not going to go to prayer to the call of prayer in the morning and in the evening without their kids being right there with them. You know, this brings up the issue of who is a Muslim because there was the man in Iran who was charged with uh, facing a death sentence for converting from Islam to Christianity. And this guy told them that he's not a Muslim, he's never been a Muslim. How can they charge him with that if he's never been a Muslim? They said, weren't your parents Muslim? And in court, he said, yes, but I'm not. They said, if you were born into a Muslim family, you put that faith at any point in your life, you're a Muslim. And you cannot depart from that sentence as now, Mr. Obama was born into a Muslim family, and he just admitted that in Indonesia, when he was in school, he heard that call. His parents were Muslim. They were on the map going down to Al-Sochi. Explain why he has such praise for this and such knowledge. Times when he quotes from the Quran, and he calls it the Holy Quran. He doesn't call the Bible the Holy Bible. He calls the Quran the Holy Quran. But when we talk about the Bible, he mocks us and makes makes fun of what the Bible says. He just says, oh, yeah, the Bible says this. It's okay, and it's all right to stone your kids. And what's, Don't you people read your Bible? And he quotes the Quran as the Holy Book. And he's to come and tell us he's Christian. Listen to this. What the president, what he feels about jihad, he didn't condemn it. Listen to this. What is your take or opinion about jihad? The phrase jihad has a lot of meanings within Islam. Um, and is subject to a lot of different interpretations. I think all of us recognize that this great religion, in the hands of a few extremists has been distorted to justify violence towards innocent people that is never justified. Uh, Barack Obama as a, a person is, an, is a, a fantastic individual, but Barack Obama as an idea uh, marks an evolutionary flashpoint for humanity. So did you notice there he would not damn jihad? And he called Islam great religion? Just like he did in the eclipse that he's played, that Islam is a great religion and that promotes peace. He knows better than that. I am not a scholar on Islam. I know that. Where does his alliance really lie? When he mocks the Bible and he mocks us saying that we're just a bunch of hillbillies who come for God and 
and our guns. Don't you read your Bibles? Deuteronomy, where it tells you that it's okay to have slaves, where it tells you it's okay to stone your kids. People don't read your Bible. Oh. Well, we know what you call a great religion, and it's not the Bible. And it's a result of that, everybody that's under him, and the secularism that makes this war on Christianity that allows some very bad things to happen. And, and it goes, the discrimination here is incredible. It's incredible to see that crimes against other people, other religions, besides Islam, seems to be okay where Christians are, are martyred around the world on a regular basis, and our government never says anything about it, where discrimination of not only Christians, but Jews in America goes on and on. Nobody ever says anything about it. Listen to this clip here. Tonight, disturbing accusations to report of anti-Semitism at a Collier County school. Ten students are serving suspensions for their roles in what's being called Kick a Jew Day at North Naples Middle. NBC's Adam Freeman is live outside of Collier County Mobile Newsroom with a story. And Adam, I understood you talked to students today about these allegations. That's right, Kelly. You know, we talked to one student who describes this as very widespread, happening all over school. And tonight we're also hearing from some parents who are flat out furious. Some parents picking up their kids from North Naples Middle School are stunned. Oh, I think it's horrible. I don't understand why they would do that. According to the Collier School District, 10 students were suspended for their roles in, quote, Kick a Jew Day last week. Word spread around the school that if you saw a Jewish student on Thursday, you were supposed to kick them. This eighth grader says she saw it happen to lots of kids. They came up to you and asked you, like, if you got kicked today, and then if not, they'd kick you. NBC2 also obtained this email one parent sent to the principal, superintendent, and school board members describing what he says happened to his daughter. Quote, kids pretended to kick her, and later at lunch, some large kids actually kicked her. Apparently, many kids, all Jewish, were kicked during the day. I was furious and attempted to call the parents of the girl who initiated this hatred. Well, I am upset that it would happen. I'm, I'm upset that I wasn't told about it. But this grandparent says he just chalks it up as kids being kids. Personally, I think it's a non-issue. And you're not concerned that this is going on? Not particularly. The 10 students involved received one-day in-school suspensions, and the school had conferences with their parents. That's not enough for some. I think it should have been more harsh, definitely. It's a lesson in hate these parents never expected. And until further notice, the first 20 minutes of each day here at North Naples Middle School will be focused on learning character traits instead of time that's usually reserved for things like reading and tutoring. Also today, the school district and the principal both declined our request for an on-camera interview. We're last night here in Collier County, Adam Freeman, NBC2. Is that not unbelievable? Now, did you hear what they said in that report? You know, I, I put the news behind that because a story broke heart. But they would do that. This was in the middle school. And it was... Oh, my goodness. This was circulated throughout the school, obviously advanced because all of the kids knew about it. You know, the teachers and the administration didn't know they were planning a kick-a-jew day. And 
What was the consequent suspension? Somebody got suspended for it. What would have happened if this was Kick a Muslim Day? If this was Kick a Muslim Day, the the ACLU and every government agency would have came down on that school like John Rice. Our administration and all the equal rights people would have thrown them down, thrown themselves down, kicked their feet like a schoolgirl. If this was Kick a Muslim Day, but because it's a Jew, it's okay. I've got to play real quick. This is about listen. The song in question is called Zakir, and it's an Islamic religious prayer song. But for at least one student, the words and their meaning is something he feels should not be performed by high schoolers in a public school setting. This is a News Channel 5 exclusive report. News Channel 5's Matt Kroeschel is breaking this story for us. He joins us now live with the details. Matt? The show will go on. That's the message from District 51 in response to one student's request to throw out a particular song. Now, the student has left the choir in protest. With its catchy beat, it's no wonder Grand Junction High School men's choir instructor Marcia Whelan picked it. But that is not the problem for senior choir student James Harper. It's a very good piece, but then once I got the translation and read through it, I became very, very highly uncomfortable. It's the translation of the car that's forced him to quit the choir. In the Bible that you don't worship any other god. And this is worshiping another god and even another prophet. In the English translation of this song, excerpts like, There is no other truth except Allah, and Allah is the only eternal and immortal. I think there would be a lot of outrage if we made a Muslim choir say Jesus Christ is the only truth. School District 51 says this is not the first time an issue with religious-based songs being sung in public schools has come up. Choral music is devoted to, to uh, religious themes. It does not discriminate against any one religion. Time after time, the courts have sided with schools, allowing the religious songs to stay. Naturally, school choirs uh, are going to be uh, engaged in, in singing religious types of songs. Since Harper raised his concerns over the song, several other parents of high school students have stepped forward in support of the teacher and the song. I thought that was fine. I've heard him sing... Uh, uh, Christian songs, I've heard him sing Hebrew songs, I've heard him sing all sorts of songs. Chris Mars emailed the district. He says his family has talked about the music choices in the past. He told me that it was a, uh, a a kind of a prayer song from an Islamic culture, and I asked him how he felt uh, performing that, and he said, well, he felt comfortable because uh, it wasn't necessarily an expression of his own beliefs. But for Harper, it's a matter of faith and principle. I don't, I don't want to seem like a racist or a bigot just really rather uncomfortable. Any religion, singing to any other god, makes me uncomfortable. That's not just exclusive to the Muslims. And we ask you to weigh in on this story. Here are a few of your comments from Facebook tonight. Jennifer Thorstead writes, perhaps no religious song should be a part of school choirs unless they are religious schools. And even Linko says there's a difference between singing a religious song and actually believing what is being talked about. There's nothing wrong with religion in schools unless it's taught as fact. Definitely a story that has a lot of people talking tonight, Jorma. Yes, okay. Thank you very much, Matt. All right. We are so under attack, it's not even funny. But I'm out of time. I've only got a couple minutes left. I've still got an hour's worth of material to go through. I may pick up some of this tomorrow. Maybe I'll have a program tomorrow on an hour or so, maybe on tomorrow, and try to 
uh, I, I, I would really like to expose the rest of uh, I'm out of time. Um, I'll be back at 8 o'clock tomorrow, Pacific time. Um, those of you in the Midwest or the East Coast, now forget the time difference. Um, and your emails are welcome at wdhotmail.com. I'm also on Facebook at wdhotmail.com. Um, Twitter at WDNook, and I invite everyone to uh, participate in any way you like. Until then, I will see you tomorrow. Today's program is brought to you by Audible.com, where you can get a free audiobook download at www.audibletrial.com slash alarmradio. With over 100,000 titles to choose from, for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. That's www.audibletrial.com slash alarm radio. This offer not available on the audible.com homepage. If you're coming to Christ for the first time, or you want to rededicate your life to Him, simply say this prayer. Lord, I put my faith in what You've done for me through Jesus' death and resurrection. I confess how hard it is for me to believe, but I'm trusting in You to give me faith. I confess that I'm a sinner, and I repent and ask Your forgiveness. I depend on Jesus to save me from my sins and to give me eternal life. I want to obey Jesus as the Lord of my life. I don't know all this means, but I'll depend on Him to show me as I go along. I know I can't earn the right to be a Christian. I accept this as a free gift. Thank you that you have forgiven me my sins, that you're my Heavenly Father, and that you have accepted me as your child. Help me to be faithful, a faithful servant of the Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, if you just made this decision, welcome to God's family. God has called you and given you the faith to believe in Him. You have now responded to His call. Now you're beginning a new life, a life that you have received as a gift from God. You belong to God now. He'll give you the strength to live a new life by faith.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.